the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Ten KNOX 107.9, FM. Good morning. It is 907.30 out, 38 out, our daytime high, 57. Your source of truth, where do you look to decide what is true and what is false? Some people choose to base that off of a book with thousands of years of history, and that is the Bible joining me. Pastor Paul Knight and Pastor Mason Peters from Hope Church. Welcome in, gentlemen. Good morning, morning. everybody. How's it, how's it going? Good. Good. It's so, a beautiful day out. It is. So I, I wanted to invite you guys on to answer what, what I'm going to call difficult Christian questions. So I want to kind of set the stage here. It is very easy, in my estimation, to start or run a church in which you advocate for your beliefs, teach people about those beliefs, And then when people challenge those beliefs and or disagree with those beliefs, you just say, there's the door. And then two people escort that person out and we carry it. That's easy, right? It's equally easy to run a church to where, hey, whatever, whatever you think, whatever's right in your own eye, whatever's right in your own heart, y'all just do that. That's fine. Well, but the Bible said it doesn't matter if you interpret it differently, whatever it is you think, that's fine. And whatever you base as your source of truth, you can pick and choose a couple passages in the Bible and you string them together. You get an upside down pyramid. But at the end of the day, it's all in there. The words are there, right? Those are easy approaches. It's a much more difficult path, difficult road to hoe, so to speak, to say, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to try to interpret it. And then I'm going to try to live my life that way. And I'm also going to try to be accepting and loving of people that have different views. So I want to start with this. We are living in a world where not everybody shares our source of truth. That is the Bible. People base it on all sorts of other things. How do you respond to the idea that if somebody says, well, the, the idea that there's only one source of truth, that's offensive to me because maybe science is my source of truth, or maybe I want to balance that with my cultural beliefs, what society tells me is true. How would you as the church, or how, how do you as pastors respond to that? So back when I was about 20 years old, I was looking through the archives of the church that I was working at at the time, and I found this little pamphlet by a guy named Dr. Paul Reese, who was a former pastor of that church. One of his opening paragraphs said, we need to stop asking non-Christians to act like Christians when Christians have such a difficult time asking, acting like Christians. Right? And uh, so that I've extrapolated that principle. I, I'm not going to demand of people who don't believe to believe. Mm. right? So I, I teach confirmation. We have about 60, 70 kids that are middle schoolers, and I require them to recite verbatim, word for word, certain statements. Mm-hmm. One of them is we believe in the Holy Scriptures, the Old New Testament is the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, and then we have a Bible verse that supports that. I remind them over and over and over, even though I require them to say we believe because that's the statement that I'm asking them to memorize, I don't require them to believe. Mm. It's more but, aspirational. 
belief is a choice, right? And in a in a function of your intellect, and a function of your will, and a function of your faith. So I think churches, even though you demand people to believe certain things, unless they actually do, they don't. Mm. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, it, it partly does, but it does. It, it it opens up the door to to some more difficult questions, right? So okay, so. I'm going to choose to base my life based off of the Bible, but somebody else may not. So when we go to advocate for laws or legislation, these sorts of things, we come up with something like abortion. So if we don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians, then is it okay to say, hey, you know what? It's just a, it's just a glob of tissue. It's just a bunch of cells. I mean, science and doctors and other sources of truth have told us that that is the case and we are not going to expect those people to follow a biblical. Problem. That's a spectacular question. Mace will answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love being put on the spot. I'll, I'll, I'll come back after you're done. But yeah, but that, I, this is great. That's actually one of the questions. I want to just, if we just go backwards a little bit, I think mm-hmm. actually part of the even more complicating factor in what is truth is that if I subscribe to the scriptures as my source of truth, my yeah. understanding of that document, of those scriptures, has also changed over time as I grow and understand more and grow in maturity. So it's not. It's not just an invitation to accept the scriptures as the truth. We're all growing in that. So there's going to be some tension between people that are committed to the scriptures mm. and and not necessarily understanding them the same way because we're human. We're not all perfect. So there's going to be some discrepancy there. But when it comes to the ad- issue of abortion, of all the issues that, that are culturally important and difficult, I actually find that one to be um, maybe, I, I don't want to use the word easy, but that's almost one of the ones that's less difficult for me to define even outside the scriptures. Okay. Um, and I, and I come back to this idea that, you know, it's, it used to be, and I don't feel like we've had this discussion for a really long time, but it used to be, we'd ask this question about when does life begin? Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be that the common understanding is if we can prove that life begins at a certain point, that's when we are responsible to take care of that life. If we okay. can determine that point. But scientifically, i uh, even outside of being a Christian or a follower of Jesus, I've never really heard anybody Define when does life begin? Mm-hmm. And so there's this. I still think we live with this open-ended question. Well, there's and here's the other side of that. Mm. So let's just say we agree. Let's just say we sure. agree. I'm not saying that people do, but let's yeah, just yeah. say for the sake of argument, we sure. agree that at conception life begins. Right. Fine. Sure. So we routinely, and I'm sure both of you as pastors have encountered this. We take a person, we put them into a bed, right. we give their body drugs to the point that they are no longer aware of what's happening. And because of that, and because we're not artificially feeding them and providing mm-hmm. them with water, bodies do what bodies do. And three days later they die. Mm-hmm. If that's acceptable, well, why wouldn't we extend that same level of some would say empathy to a child or to a, a clump of cells? I might use their words. If there is a belief that that isn't going to yield a, a fruitful life. Define fruitful as you think people are using it. Yeah. So some people would say if you bring a particular child into the world under certain circumstances, they're going to they're going to be they're going to struggle because they're impoverished and or the family, the mother or the people that aren't capable of providing for that child will struggle and society will then struggle because that kid winds up in trouble or in the legal system, those sorts of things. So some would make the argument we're just better off if they if they're never born. So in fairness, I think, just to extend that principle, mm. if, if you're going to bring a life into this world through birth, mm. they're going to struggle. 
I don't, I, I don't, I'm <laughs> like, no, but realistically, yeah, yeah. you're, you're trying to say, I mean, the argument seems to be, or the question seems to be, if we can identify that there's going to be some potential great challenges that are going to be very unpleasant if we bring this child into the world, mm. that is true of every child, whether sure. we recognize it or not. So now we're starting to, we're trying to, it seems like we're trying to define this point of at what point is the struggle justifiable and what point is it not? Okay. And we're trying to predict a future that is completely unknown in doing that. So I, it feels to me like that's not a substantive, substantive argument there. Okay. So I just go back to this. If we can't define when a life begins, I mm-hmm. think it's commonly accepted that we have a, a responsibility, a moral, ethical responsibility to protect a life, uh, even if we're not sure. And so there's, there's this um, – I always use the illustration that I'm, I'm walking through the woods on a hike. I come across what looks to be a body on the ground. What's my moral ethical responsibility? And I would argue my moral ethical responsibility is to, until I can determine whether that's a viable life or not, mm-hmm. I have to be responsible for it, to do everything I can to sustain the health of that being. Okay. And I think that a principle applies in an unborn child. So that's where I, I, I go. I think we could come to a point where mm. whether we know for certain whether a being is alive or not, we have some responsibility to care for it. So how do you respond to somebody who says, well, I don't necessarily disagree that that's, that's a life. I just don't share your I just don't share your idea that if that they're all valuable. I think that if the mother makes the choice to end the life, she would know best because she's in that situation. So maybe it's a product of rape. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So so that's where culture and yeah. society takes over, mm-hmm. right? Is not everybody has a capacity to do that. I I don't think there's a culture on the face of the earth or has been <clears throat> where the people of that culture believe it's okay to kill your own Okay. We have had cultures where people believe it's okay to kill others, uh-huh. right? But there's something instinctively born into every human being on the preservation of life. Sure. You have to compromise that in order to – so we're all watching the news. We're hearing stories right now of a group of people who have mm. taken babies and beheaded them alive in front of their parents. Yeah. <clears throat> you have to be pretty broken to think there's anything okay about that. Mm-hmm. Right. In which case, I would say that the individuals are doing it, doing that. I would classify as intensely evil or demonic. Mm. Right. There's something about a culture that demands the preservation of life of your own, and so abortion, uh, depending again uh, where we end up with life, mm-hmm. ends up compromising some very instinctive things that are in the human heart. And culture can twist that, and life can twist that, and pain can twist that, and all those kinds of other things. But the very core of humanity is about preservation of life. Okay. And uh, so outside of religion, outside of everything, it's instinctive in human environment to protect your own. We have compromised that as a culture. Do you accept that, do you accept that there are people that don't share that belief? And if so, how, what is the role for the legal system to advocate for one or the other? The, that that in essence is what I was trying to say. I think the legal system uh-huh. has to step in and help people live what is best for all of humanity. Okay. Right. So right now we have again we have another group of people that are saying you cannot kill our citizens. Mm-hmm. We're going to stop this. Mm-hmm. Most of the world is saying, of course, right. So the government is intended to in in. When when you have a handful of people or a group of people that are off center, off kilter, off out of culture, mm-hmm. the government steps in and does that. No, some people would say, well, as believers, you don't have the right to make a law. In our culture, we do. 
right? We have a right to make a law if that's what the vote of the people is. Mm-hmm. So if there's enough of a culture, enough of a group of people that want to institute a law that says abortion is illegal, mm-hmm. uh, according to our constitution, the states have a right to do that. Mm-hmm. We may not like that, but the majority of the people get to help establish culture in a culture where it goes against those who like, like in a culture that says like we have had where abortion mm-hmm. is legal. We also have the right to teach and provide for and encourage people to not do a law that is morally uh, offensive and sinful. Right. We, we have to fight against laws appropriately to change them to match what morality would do. But as Christians, we don't have the, I don't think we can say just because it's Christian, we want that law. We still have to follow the principles of our government, which is through elections and process. But that's really brings, that's really the issue at the heart of the matter, right? Which is, well, what do we determine as law? And and I I love that point that, that that a Christian, a church, whatever, can't demand that their worldview is what forms the laws of a country or a state. Mm-hmm. But what everybody has the right to do is invite <laughs> others to a point of view and persuade people that that point of view is not only moral and good, but it is best for society. And at the end of the day, if a country or a state makes a law that Christians agree with, great for that Christian community. If the state makes a law that Christians don't agree with, you also have to live within the confines of that law. And then it potentially persuade others that that's not a good law and maybe move things in a different direction. And that's that's how our system works. Or live the, with the consequences of defying the law. If that's what your, if your conviction requires that you yes. can't obey that law as a Christian, you may have to be an objector to that. Back in the days of the early church, back in the Roman period, it was a law to bend your knee and to bow your head right. towards Caesar, who was considered the god. Right, and Christians refused to do that. They allowed themselves then to be fed to lions and gladiators, and, and that sounds fantastical and like like th- that really happened historically. And Christians were unwilling to bend their knee to Caesar and say he is our God. In 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 that context, they faced the consequences of that until those laws were changed in about three fourteen A.D. and and that's happened throughout history yeah. right way before the Roman Empire and the beauty about our culture is you are still encouraged and allowed to defend a position that not everyone agrees with there's mm-hmm. many places in the world and maybe in a growing sense here mm-hmm. where just to voice a disagreement with a law is enough to end you, end you up in a very difficult position and maybe life threatening so the, there is a beauty in our culture that still says we have opposing ideas we will debate them vigorously and then the majority is going to rule. So 60% of the country comes out and says, I'm just making this up. And so I'm not right. necessarily yeah. represent, but sure. 60% of the country comes out and they say, we want abortion to be legalized at the federal level across this, across states. So now you have culture has shifted so far from what we might believe from a biblical perspective. Sure. Now we're living in the world where you would say, well, we either have to, we either have to live by the law or we have to choose to defy it. So, you know, if, that's easy if you're working as like a physician or something. You just say, I'm just not going to participate. I, I can't in good conscience do that. Right. But how do we as Christians respond to living in a world where something that we find to be abhorrent is common practice and is legal and is celebrated as a right by maybe half the country? But this is, in my mind, what the Christian church has been or should has should have been doing all along. We live in a world—the Christian church has always lived in a world like that. And 
where the where the church is allowed to um, meet and grow. I, I I think Paul, you said it earlier, but it's the idea that there will there will be a constant invitation and hopefully a persuasion to something greater than what we see in front of us. That there is a worldview that the Christian is saying, this is a better worldview. It's not only better for the individual, mm-hmm. it's better for the society, it's better for the entire world. So there's a there's a constant invitation and, and persuasion to say, consider these truths, consider this reality, and consider what it might mean for you as an individual, and consider what it might mean for your culture if more and more people live this way. Ultimately, it's this belief that there is something far better yes. than yeah. what we see in front of us. There is this belief that says it's not. Uh, it's an invitation to consider something that is absolutely beautiful, rather than condemning and compromising and and angry. And so, uh, I guess I, I, I we talk about this thing called the gospel, this good news. And so my core conviction is that the gospel really is good news, that the truths of the Scripture are really good news for mm. culture and the individual. So I'm going to live in that place, and I'm going to constantly live my life, and I hope my speech will always be an invitation to consider whether that's really true. And I so, I can live in that world. I, I want to – oh, go ahead. Okay, I, I just want to say quick mm. – I, I love that, right? And I think the church needs to capitalize more on the invitational mm. – uh, attitude than a demanding attitude. We invite people to encounter a God who absolutely loves them, who believes they are to die for. And we aspire to that and we invite people to that rather than demand that they follow our rules and regulations. So let me ask you this, going off that for just a second. So somebody comes into your church and they say, it's a dude with a beard and a, and a big lumberjack looking shirt. And he says, my name is Kelly. And I've recently, or I'm about... You've been to our church. (laughs) I'm about to transition or am in the process of transitioning to a woman. So going back to that idea of source of truth, source of truth tells me the Bible says that men and women are created different, not less than, but different. Science confirms to me that chromosomes, not choice, is what chooses gender. So... I come into that with a very specific set of beliefs, but now I have somebody standing in front of me. I want to be invitational. I don't want to be tell you how it is. Now, what do we do? So I have this again. I I, it, I don't want to. This is real, right? Yeah, now. This is real every day. I, I hope this doesn't sound cynical, but I, I am absolutely committed, or not committed. I, I'm absolutely convinced that the scriptures are true, and for a, a multiplicity of reasons. But I'm also absolutely convinced that you get to live your life however you want. I, I don't dictate to you how you get to live your life. I am free to believe, and I do it many times, that the choices we make aren't good for us. They're not good for society. They're not good for individuals. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach that and say, you get to do you. You get to live life exactly the way that you want, but back to this idea. But I invite you to consider something beyond what you currently ex- are experiencing. And on it, that's true of me, right? I live my life the way I want to live my life. And I live my life differently today than I did 10 years ago. Why? Because I've discovered things that are healthy and good and, and I didn't understand earlier. So I'm going to approach that situation that says, you get to do you, but I want to invite you to consider something greater than what you see in front of you. I want to invite you to consider something that might be beyond what you currently understand. Walk with me. Let's see if we can't discover this together. It's just an invitation without a demand. We will as a as a congregation. So 
uh, we will put certain parameters around things, right? So when someone comes in and wants to use our facility, right, we have some parameters there. We have a male and female bathroom. Uh, we have a family bathroom. We're not going to demand that someone says that they're different than what they think. We're going to, as Mason yeah. said, we're going to invite that. We are free and responsible before God. And we believe that. And we would invite someone to consider that. We have people that are transgender right now that attend our church. We would not teach that that is God's design for them. They would disagree with us, but we still invite them to consider the love of Jesus Christ. And do, so, like, I don't think we can, like, the early disciples, they didn't believe everything they were supposed to believe when they first started to follow Jesus. They learned what God invited mm. them to believe. We have to be patient as people come to an understanding of faith. I'm confident, as Mason said, that the Bible is true. Right? I'm confident that relationship with Jesus Christ is the best. That's what we want to invite people to then address the rest of the way they live. Coming up, we'll ask the pastors, what happens when you have a difference of biblical interpretation? How does the church respond to that? It's all up next on News Radio 1310 KNOX. Welcome back to Critical Thought. Pastor Mason Peters, Pastor Paul Knight in the studio with me. So I want to ask about practical ways that we go about doing this. So again, it's an easy road to just say, here's truth, follow along, there's the door. Those are easy paths to follow. The more difficult one is bending your own comfortability to meet somebody where they're at. Pastor Paul, I know you've had some experience with this and people, what some people might describe as affirming sin in order to mm. make people comfortable. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so th- th- that's always a fine line we walk, right? How how far do we allow people to express themselves in areas where it goes against the Scripture? Mm. Uh, during, during our break, I was telling a story. Back in the 80s, <clears throat> I was part of a church in New England, and we were having uh, home Bible studies and starting them out. And the intention of the home Bible studies was to help people who don't go to church encounter Jesus. And the discussion was centered around, in those days, smoking and whether you could have people come into your home who smoked if you don't like smoke. And one of the guys just explained, he goes, well, I went out and bought ashtrays because my neighbors all smoke, but I want them to come to faith. And so I hate smoking. My wife doesn't want it really in the house, but we want our neighbor to come to Jesus. And so we're willing to put up with that in order for them to come and hear the gospel. Uh, not everybody would agree with that, but what we tend to do is put some kind of regulations on people before they know Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And so even with, with some, you talked earlier about transgender and gay and lesbian people, like if we make that rule the first thing they hear about, right, or people who live together who are heterosexual, if we make that the main thing, you can't come here unless, like I want people to encounter Jesus and learn how to follow Jesus, I'll say this again. The early disciples didn't believe everything they were supposed to believe when they began to follow Jesus. They didn't even know what they were supposed to believe, but they followed Jesus because of who he was, and then they learned to believe what they are supposed to believe or what was true. And once they learned what was true, they were willing to change their minds. They didn't do the right things when they started to follow Jesus at first, but when they encountered Jesus and saw how he did things, they changed the way they did things because of their relationship with Jesus. What does the role for a person who is living in sin 
but wants to be a part of the church. And so you open the doors and say, you're welcome. And so they show up with their ashtray, with their cigarette, with their sin, whatever it is. I'm using that metaphorically. What, where are the limits? Like, are they welcome to participate in everything? Are they just welcome to all of us, first of all, in some way, right? I mean, Mason, have you had a day yet without sin? (laughs) Still working on one. Okay. Uh, So there's that, but, but there is the point where, there's certain things like I was asked a couple of weeks ago uh, a question like that. There's certain points where we say because of your willful disregard for this truth, mm-hmm. we're going to invite you not to participate in this level of the church because that is for a person who's committed to Jesus Christ and committed to living the lifestyle of of Christ. Okay, so that doesn't mean perfection. So, that, so 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 here's a pinch point. So rather than in in invite so we're going to say here is the limit of what you're allowed to do inside of our church because you don't believe the way that we believe is is my understanding that correctly so i'm going to i'm just going to say it's always an invitation to participate that's there's an open door for all people all walks of life all different kinds of problems all different questions all different challenges but there is a certain participation level where you say, okay, well, now I want to mentor children or I want mm. to mentor young adults. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to mentor them in? Well, as a church, we're saying, well, here we believe the Holy Scriptures to be our authority for life and truth right here, okay? So now we're saying, well, that's what we're trying to mentor people into. Can you, with all of your heart and being and soul, commit to that process? Well, there's lots of people who walk through our church doors and worship with us who are there on Sundays who couldn't necessarily say that to be true of them. So, so I think there's a parameter there that says, you are a welcome part of this family. We're going to love you. You're going to be part of what we do. But unless you buy in with what we say, what, we, what our common understanding of truth is and our source for authorities, is, I, I don't, it, it's, it seems like a, a weird question to me. It's a little bit like saying, I want to have a membership at the Grand Forks Golf and Country Club. What would you like to do once you buy that membership? I'd like to ride my dirt bike all over the golf course. <laughs> well, the country club's going to say, you're welcome here. We don't, we don't care what your golf skill level is. We don't even care what your understanding. But, but that is, if you want to be a, a, a part of what we're doing here, you can't ride your dirt bike. There's going to be parameters Okay, there. so where, how do you define those parameters? So, like, somebody is smoking. We say, okay, that's tolerable for a little bit. But somebody says, well, currently yeah, I that's sleep against seven the law. W- Smoking? I mean, just smoking inside of, well, okay. of, of a so public they, building. So, so, they, so they step outside yeah. the front doors of the church and they smoke 20 feet away from the building. So That happens. Okay. Yeah. So so we're okay with that. How about the guy who shows up and says, yeah, I slept with seven women in three days? So first of all, if there's relationship, we, we would have that conversation. If I'm aware of it, I would have that conversation with them. We have uh, invited people to – so most often people who are honestly seeking truth uh-huh. and seeking Jesus – self-select and say, you know what, I shouldn't do this because I'm doing this, right? Sure. In the rare instance where we discover it, we have a conversation with someone. So uh, one of our worship team leaders, uh, worship team leaders, that's a wrong phrase, participants, one of our worship participants uh, on the front platform uh, was spending the night with his girlfriend. He talked to us about that, and we said, you know, until you sort that out, uh, why don't you step off the worship team? And he said, you know, that makes complete sense. So he wasn't on. arguing so with us. So, so, so how do you define the person? Let's just say for the sake of example, he had said, no, I like serving on the worship team. And he did. It, okay. So if, if I'm just going to make up names here so we don't throw anybody under the bus. If Bob is smoking cigarettes outside the front of the church, is he welcome to be on the worship team? Yes. Is there, okay. But somebody who's sleeping with somebody else is not. How do you define that difference? How do you, where do you reach? Very the, messily. 
Right. Uh, so the willful choice to put yourself in a physically compromising position with a person of the opposite Bob sex. Bob's putting himself sex. in a willfully compromising position with Absolutely. a drug addiction. Yeah. Uh, so, th- again, that's messy. It's not hard and fast. We have uh, people on our worship team who uh, smoke behind the building. Okay. Right. Uh, that's the lesser of their issues right now. Uh, so, and again, it has to do with uh, what's being modeled. And I, 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 don't, I guess I don't have a great answer for that other than relational. I would talk to the person and we would most likely say, you know, because of what you, by the fact that you're up here mm-hmm. saying you want to help people worship, you're defining yourself as a person of a certain level of, of faith. And if you're, if you're intentionally, like if, if a person like messes up and says, man, my girlfriend and I or my boyfriend and I, you know, messed up the other night and that's confessional, uh, we're going to go the extra mile. When we agree on something, if, I get if what If they're saying. saying, you know, I don't care what you think, I'm still going to do that's, – that's, that's an attitude thing, not just an activity thing. Okay. Let me, so let me twist it again on you then. So what about the person who comes and says – I believe this, and you look at whatever this is, and you say, I don't agree with that scriptural interpretation. The person says, listen, I believe in the Bible. I believe in scriptures, but I, and then we cherry pick three or four verses from across and say, and here's how I arrived at my belief. So see, it's biblically based, Pastor Paul. Now what? So we don't have to all toe a line. Okay. If it makes sense, that's actually one of the beauties of our denomination. We live with a lot of gray. In our denominational family. Freedom of the church. Yeah. And and in our local church, uh, if it's a fundamental truth issue like the deity of Christ or the virgin birth of Christ or the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. Sure. Uh, and they can say, I don't believe those. Then then I'm going to say you're not a follower of Jesus. How about 1 Corinthians 5.1 where it talks about specifically not to associate with somebody and then it gives a very specific <clears throat> list of sins mm-hmm. that – are, are are to be shunned. How do we deal with that? Okay. I got to look the verse up. Mason, do you got it? I have an Andy. I have an Andy for five you. 5-1? Five 5-1. One. Five one. is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and that that kind of even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Then Corinthians 5-11 goes on to say, but now I'm writing to you to not even associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he's guilty of, and then it lists, sexual immorality, greed, and a, I, adulterer, rivaler, drunkard, or swindler. So how do we, if, if the Bible specifically, very clearly, plain as day, spells out, hey, here's are the sins, don't associate with them, how do we have a knee-jerk That's reaction That's a great question. Love? That's a beautiful question. I, you know, in fact, I used to live in a community where there was a, a religious organization, I'll call them, and they took this, in my opinion, out of context. And, mm-hmm. and literally, if someone didn't follow their code of conduct, mm-hmm. they put them out of fellowship with this group and took it so literally they would not acknowledge that person on the street until they came back and said, I was wrong. Some would say they're following this. the Bible. So I think they've missed a little bit of context. I okay. think there is, and, and I there's a, there's a couple of pieces to it. I, I think he's talking about people in the church who have said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I identify with this body that is worshiping Christ together, which means that I've accepted a certain code of conduct that, that we all agree on mm-hmm. and then have stepped outside of that code of conduct and refuse to acknowledge that they're even wrong or that they're outside of that conduct. It's There's, not random people. It's people from within. Yeah, yeah. It's it's this it's this body of Christians mm-hmm. who say, this is what is true, this is what is good, this is what is noble, this is what, this is what I agree to live by. And then someone has stepped out of that and, and not really acknowledged that they've even stepped out of it and just said, no, 
I'm declaring a new truth. I, I, I'm not acknowledging what we've earlier agreed on. And to me, the missing point here is, I think the point Paul's trying to, Paul says something to the effect of treat them as an unbeliever. The Apostle Paul says something about uh, treating them as an unbeliever. Okay. So they're no longer part of the country club. Now they're part of the dirt bike club, whatever it is. So, but what do you do then? The the question is now, how do you treat them? Well, we've been talking about it all morning. It's invitational. Mm. It's not, we're not. Well, it's invitational until we hit a level to where we say, we don't want you in a position of leadership or influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we're going to uh, Matthew chapter 18. 18, where we talk about, well, how do you handle the believer who who claims to have a relationship with Jesus, has clearly stepped outside of what is morally good and noble and true, mm-hmm. that we all agree on. How do you approach that person? Is it, and, when, and first, it's, well, it's an ugly process, right? It's this one-on-one. It's this you one on person one. individually. Individually. Mm-hmm. says, how, what's going on? And, mm-hmm. and that person, no, I'm not. Which we not have done. Many, mm-hmm. Individually, as as friends and, yep. and accountability partners, all the time, mm-hmm. they don't agree. They're still so. No, I'm right. You're wrong. And then it's two people go to them, and then eventually the church body goes and says, "Hey," wh-, and and if there just can't be a, a bringing that person back to this accepted um, a- agreement, mm-hmm. you set them outside that body. But what does that mean? What's the point of setting a person outside the body of fellowship of a church? It's to reconcile them back in. The goal is always redemptive. The goal is always reconciliation. The goal is always health. And so you're 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 putting them in a spot where they can once again hear the call of Jesus on their heart and hear this invitation to surrender that part of their lives to God. If you go on in that passage in, in verse 12, it actually says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those in... Is, is it not those inside the church who are to judge? So once you say you want to be part of the church, you put yourself in submission to the people of the congregation, right? Okay. Outside, like, I, that, that's what I said before. I, I think I don't think we can ask non-Christians to act like Christians. Mm. Christians have such a hard time asking, acting like Christians. And but if Christians you look at have sec- a hard time agreeing what it means to be a yeah. Christian. But then, yes, but in a local church, you, what you're saying is, I want to be part of this body, mm. and what do we agree with? Right, but the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians, mm-hmm. in reference to this same person who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, mm-hmm. tells them, "Let him back in," because he is now turned around, and whatever they did in those days to expel him or say, "You know what? You, you can't pretend you're a follower of Christ if you're unwilling to submit your life to the things of Christ." But then he's somewhere to run. Paul's telling the church, "Let him back in." That's a beautiful resolution in our denomination again or in our, our well, in our, in our church. What about they, other churches? Like what if other churches have different beliefs? Are they, are all of them saved? Oh, man. So salvation is around Jesus, not the rule. So you would say that any church, regardless of their other beliefs, as long as they accept the messiahship of Jesus, that is the threshold to be saved. Yes. In, in the, in the, in the full understanding what that means. So the submission to my of my life to Jesus and my acknowledgement that I'm a sinner and my need for a Savior and an acknowledgement that I can't rule my life and I need a Lord, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he declared himself God, That that is the criteria. So uh, all of the ancillary things, like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not the judge of whether someone's saved or not. Mm-hmm. God is, right? I've, I look at some of the, People who say they believe certain things, and even in, in our own family, like, I can't believe you believe that. That doesn't mean you're going to hell because you believe that. That means you and I differ on something that isn't central to Jesus. 
If someone comes to me and says, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, but that he's still my path for salvation, yeah, that's that's a person who misunderstands who Jesus is. They've just chosen a name that says, uh, this is Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but they're not talking about Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. A biblical Jesus. Biblical Jesus, yeah. Pastor Mason Peters, Pastor Paul Knight, I appreciate the time. One of the things I appreciate about Are both of done? you and about Hope Church, we're coming up against the top of the hour, you guys are willing to answer questions that a lot of people just aren't willing to answer or not willing to take on. And I appreciate you guys taking the hits on the chin. Thank you. Back soon. Thank you. Great morning. All right, guys. ABC News on the way, followed by local news headlines out of the KNOX newsroom. This is Critical Thought of KNOX. Thanks for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on Newstalk 1310 KNOX. Streamed online at knoxradio.com.